Good morning. Welcome to the next part of our walk through the book of Philippians. We'll be taking a look at the second part of chapter 3. Last week we took a look at the first part of chapter 3. And if you remember, Paul spent the first part of the chapter, or this letter, to the church in Philippi, speaking about he had how he had spent his life becoming the ultimate Jew. He was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, he had a spotless reputation in his community. And, of course, he was a Pharisee as well, which was a very select group of people. Um, and he had made that. He was kind of top of the class, ultimate Jew. And uh, his big revelation that he had, which we focused on last week, was that absolutely all of that, his pedigree, his status, everything that he had, everything that he had worked his life to become, meant nothing, meant rubbish. It was worthless. It had no value compared to knowing Jesus. He had literally worked his whole life, maybe 40 years, to earn the relationship with God that he was searching for. But everything that he had and that he was and that he achieved was worthless and could not bring him that relationship. It was only when he surrendered everything to God that he found that true relationship with God. And isn't it true that that's exactly how things work? It's only when we get to the end of ourselves that we find God. It's only when we've exhausted all of our resources, when we've, when we've used every bit of energy we've got, when we've used all the wealth and the intelligence and the relationships and, and, and the connections that we have, that God actually says, okay, are you done yet? Because I actually want to help you. And he steps in and he helps us. It's only at the end of ourselves that we find God. And that's why Jesus said to his followers in Matthew 16, this was just after he predicted his own death. And they said, no, that can't be. But then Jesus said to his disciples in verse 24, if any of you wants to be my follower, turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. Here's the important part, verse 25. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit? What do you gain if you get the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And you can see there, that's exactly Paul. He had gained everything. But what good is it to gain everything and to lose your soul? And Jesus comes with this counterculture way of looking at things. And he says, if you want to win in the kingdom... You actually have to give everything up. You have to come to the end of yourselves. So, let's take a look now at uh, the verses for this morning. And we're going to carry on, as I said, from chapter 3 and verse 12. In my Bible, the heading is pressing toward the goal. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Now, Paul, remember, he just spent uh, the, the first part of the chapter speaking about really how amazing he was. Now, he did end that off saying that wasn't worth anything, but he was talking about uh, the kind of Jew that he was and everything that he had achieved and done. And, but he, he's trying to make it absolutely clear that it's not about him. He's not trying to put the focus and the spotlight on himself. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Paul is making sure we understand. He's not trying to make himself look good. 
He's not trying to say that he's arrived. The word perfection there, teleos, actually speaks about a maturity of mind. It doesn't speak about perfection in the way that we understand it, that now I am perfect. It doesn't, that's not what he was saying. He was talking about maturity. The picture really is of someone who has qualified to study. You're no longer studying. Uh, you've now qualified. You've finished. You've, you've learned what you need to learn about a subject. Now you've got to go and get experience. That's the, the picture that he's used. It's a maturity or a completeness, that word of perfection. But he's saying, I haven't achieved that. I'm not the guy who's arrived. I don't understand everything about Jesus. I don't understand everything about Christianity. Um, I haven't achieved that perfection, that maturity, that completeness. Paul says, I'm still learning. I haven't arrived yet. I'm by no means a complete Christian. But, and here's the but that comes in the second half of verse 12. But I press on to possess, which is to grasp, to take hold of that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me or took hold of me. So it's a a wonderful thought because Paul felt that when Christ stopped him on the road to Damascus, and we spoke about that in the first, in the introduction to Philippians, when, when he was stopped in his tracks as he was going into the city, knocked off his donkey or his horse or whatever it was, blinded by the light, which was Jesus that, that, that intercepted, that intervened in his life at that moment. What he's saying is Christ had a vision and a purpose for Paul. And Paul felt that all his life he was bound to press on in case he would fail to reach that purpose. He never felt that he had arrived like he had reached his purpose and could now sit back and watch, like he had done his time and now others can have a turn. It's a fantastic thought that, because it wasn't just Paul that Christ did that for. You see, it wasn't just Paul that was going along and and Christ reached out into his world and intervened and saved him. It was us as well. And it wasn't just Paul who got a ministry, a mission, a a purpose for his life. It was absolutely all of us. But sometimes we we can feel like we've arrived. We've got where we need to get to. And now it's time to let other people take the baton and run with it. But here's the thing. We don't ever retire from ministry. We never retire from ministry. Paul, who had done so much, was sitting at the end of his life in jail writing these words that he wrote to the church in Philippi. And he was even saying, I haven't arrived. I'm pressing on. There's still more. Because when Christ intervened in my life, when he found me, when he saved me, when he changed me, when I became his child, his follower, when I put my faith in Jesus, he gave me a mission. And there's no chance that I'm going to sit back and let other people do this or say that I've done everything that I need to do. I haven't done my time. I want to achieve everything that Christ had in his mind for me when he saved me. Everyone is possessed or taken hold of or grasped by Christ for some purpose. So we too need to press on throughout our lives so that we can grasp that purpose for which Christ grasped us. And here's how Paul presses on, how he motivates himself not to sit back and say, well done, Paul. This is what he says, and this is in verse 13 and 14 now. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, and here's a key thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Forgetting things which are behind and looking forward. 
Now, someone in my position will hear, you know, you get to chat to a lot of people. And in thinking about what I was going to speak about this morning, I could think of two groups of people. And both of these groups that I'm thinking of now, of, of people that may, may have uh, chatted through to me, you see, they get this thing completely opposite. You, Paul says, forget things are which, are which are behind and look forward. Now, so many times you speak to people and they are focused on what's behind and forgetting the things which are ahead of them. Now, the one group of people uh, who this relates to are people that have achieved a lot in their lives. They've been running for God. They've, they've done things. They've served in ministry. They've tithed. They've, they've gone on outreaches. They've, they've, uh, they're great people. Um, they're solid, committed, stable Christians. And they get to a certain stage in their life when they say, you know what, I think it's time when I can sit back and let the next generation do some of the work. But the problem is exactly what this picture behind me is saying they are looking in the rear view mirror and that's the clear part looking forward is the blurry part so they're looking back at their lives and saying these are all the things that i've done these are people that have achieved and and they look back and they say oh look at these things you know you know what people who are like this what marks their conversation their speech this phrase back in my day that's the phrase that marks people who have walked a road with God but feel like their best days are behind them. Back in my day, we, oh, we used to sing from these fantastic red hymnals. Uh, back in my day, we had fantastic wooden pews. Back in my day, we didn't use all this black paint and these colorful lights and, and umbrellas and coffee machines. What's going on here? Back in my day, it was all about Jesus. You would walk from street to street and you would knock on as many doors as you can and you would lead people to Christ. Back in my day. See, they've got a very clear view of the rear view mirror. But looking forward, there's nothing. There's no hope. There's no future. There's nothing. Because for them, all they see is a, is a horrible future of, oh my word, where's the church going? What is the youth of today doing? Where are the ministers going? Uh, and they can't see the future clearly. The other group of people, and I think this next group of people is larger than that first group. These are people who are focused on looking backwards because of failure. Not because they've achieved and arrived and walked a good journey, but they're so focused on looking back because all they can see are the things that they've done wrong. These are people who say, man, I've made some terrible choices in my life. I've, I've, I, maybe I shouldn't have married that person. Man, I didn't mean to have this kid or I should have studied this. That would have got me further in life. Man, if I had just known that computers were the way forward, I would have put some energy into that when I was finished schooling. And you look back and you say, oh, I could have done better. I should have done better. Why did I do that? Why did I mess my marriage up like that? How did I mess my kids up like that? Why did I get into this job and stick through it for 20 years and it was absolutely horrible for me? These are people who can't see the way forward because they're looking and they're, all they can see is the junk and the poor decisions, the things that have happened in their lives in the past. Now, Paul is saying to both groups of people, forget what you have done, good and bad, 
and remember that you still have work to do. Put those things behind you. You can't make steady progress going forward if all you can do is look backwards and say either uh, I've done my time or uh, I'm not good enough. I've made terrible decisions. You can't make progress like that. You can't make progress properly forwards when you're focused on the past. So many of us live our lives trying to go forward but looking backwards. In the Christian life, there isn't room for either of these two groups of people. Those who have done all they need to do, that have achieved and arrived and now want to sit back and watch. And the group of people that are so weighed down by the past and their circumstances that they can't see all that God has possessed them for and has saved them for and has saved them into. I think there are more people, like I said, in that second category than the first. People that are just beaten down by life and are glancing back over their shoulder and wondering if life wouldn't be easier if it went back to the way it used to be before Christ. You know, that, that is the devastating end of the, the thought train there, is that, man, I made some poor decisions. I, I've been following God, but I've made a lot of poor decisions. I wonder if my life before Christ was easier than this. You look back at your life before you knew Jesus, before you were walking with him, and it seems like it was an easier time, like things were better then. Like you never had to wake up early on a Sunday morning. You could just sleep in. Like you got to keep your whole salary. You never felt guilty for the things you were doing that you now find out are sinful things. Those feelings of guilt never worried you before, but all of a sudden you're following God, and now you've got this pesky, guilty thing, this conscience Like you never had to work on parts of your character that weren't healthy. Life just seemed easier back then. Let me tell you something. Because if there is someone here like that this morning, I want to tell you something. That season comes to an end as you walk with Christ. The longer you journey with Jesus, you find that 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 sense of going back that almost option to go back to the way things were, that begins to disappear. You see, there's the problem is that people, they get saved and there's an emotional thing and maybe sometimes they hit the bottom of the barrel in their lives and they come to a church service or a friend connects with them and speaks about God and shares his testimony or her testimony with them and, and they say, you know what, I need that in my life. I need that stability. I need, I need to follow something. I need to put my faith in something. I need something. I know there's something bigger than me. I want to put my faith and my trust in that and that's what they do but then the follow through is quite difficult. So what people do is they put up their hand, they get saved, they become Christian but they leave the door behind them open just a little bit, just in case things get really rough. Just in case. You know, sometimes I'm, I, I want to follow God, but I just want a way out just in case. I'm not sure that I can follow this thing if, if it doesn't lead to everything that I think it's going to lead to. If I don't get a promotion straight away, if things become difficult, what happens if someone that I love passes away and dies? Well, I want to have that door open just a crack so that, look, if this thing isn't what I thought it was, I can walk back through it. And here's the good news for you if that's you and you've considered, you know, you've, you've tried this God thing, this church thing. The good news is, is that as you mature as a Christian, that door closes solidly behind you and it never becomes an option to walk back through it to the way things used to be. God is saying, Don't have one foot in the church, one foot in Christianity, 
one foot in being a Christ follower and have the other foot in the world and in your past life and in the way that you used to be. Don't be like that. It's better to be hot or cold. If you want to be lukewarm and have both legs, uh, one leg in one part in your Christianity and one leg in your life before Christ, that's not going to work. And it's actually worse off because what happens to people like that is that they say, well, you know, I've tried this Jesus thing. I've tried this Christianity thing. I went to church for a while. I, I went even for like months on end and I would go every Sunday and I even joined a connect group. And, and sometimes I'd even give some money when the buckets came past, but my life didn't improve. Nothing changed. Uh, and so this thing doesn't work for me. I'm going to go back. And those people, the lukewarm people, end up worse off than the people who are cold, even. Because now they're sort of, what would you say, gospel immune. They've almost become immune to the gospel because they've heard it all before. They've sat in church. And it hasn't worked for them. Not the way they understood it. And they've turned back. Better to be hot than cold. But let me tell you, when you reach that point, that that door closes solidly behind you. That's a point in your faith, which is a marking point, because that is a point of maturity where that no longer becomes an option. Going back is not an option. My goal today, if that is you, is to encourage you to hold on. Don't give up. Stay in faith. Like Paul says, keep pressing on. And the picture there of pressing on is, you know, when you watch those running videos and there's two people right near the end uh, and, and they lean over and they're like trying to just get their nose in front of the next person's nose just so that they win. That's the picture that he uses of pressing on. It is like you cannot look backwards. You can only look forwards. He's saying, don't, whatever you do, look back. Press on towards everything that Christ has saved you for. So the first thing you need to do to stop looking back at what you used to do. Sorry, the first thing to do. So the first thing to do is to stop looking back at what you used to be as if going back is an option. There's an author, Chris Cobbs, and he has, he says this. He says, the past is never there when you try to go back. It exists but only in memory. To pretend otherwise is to invite a mess. So often, I think as Christians and as new believers, we, we come into Christ's family and, and we still are looking back. We still see our friends doing all the same sorts of things. And, uh, and we sometimes long for those. But, but what he's saying is this in this quote, the past is never there when you try to go back. It, it's in your memory and you think everything's going to be as good as it was in your memory. And if you ever try to go back, to pretend otherwise is to invite a mess. It creates a massive mess, trying to go back to the things, the way things were. Because you'll find that they are much better in your mind than they were even in reality. So looking back is easier than going forward. But know this today. God wants to take your hand and lead you forward. We all know that it's true that the, the life God has called us to is not always an easy one. There's times on the journey when we start to question what we believe and why we do it, what we do as Christians, how real my relationship with is, is with God. Uh, maybe you've been doing church for so long and you've been fed by other people for so long that when you're actually alone and you, and you want to pray and you want to talk to God, you have no idea how to feed yourself spiritually. Now, I don't personally, I don't necessarily see those times as bad times. Because sometimes those difficult questions need to be dealt with. 
in order for us to make progress. And I've had a couple of moments like that. And I want to tell you this. They can be good if you make an effort to feed your faith in them. They produce character. The sad thing, though, is when people start to look at what they had before God called them. And they begin to drift back into their old lives. There's a fantastic story. It was uh, actually a a well-known, and maybe you've heard about it, a race that happened between two gentlemen, one Roger Bannister and the other John Landy. Now, it happened in 54, so you're talking about a good 60 years ago now. Um, And uh, what, what happened was Roger Bannister became the first person in history to run a mile in less than four minutes. But of course, as with all records, once, once people can see that it actually can be done, that record starts to be broken more than once by just more than one person. So within two months, John Landy eclipsed that record by 1.4 seconds, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. On August the 7th, 1954, and here's the picture. The two men met together for a historic race. As they moved into the last lap, Landy held the lead. He's the guy in the dark shorts. You can check out the race on YouTube, Landy versus Bannister as well. So Landy held the lead for most of the race, and it looked as if he was certain to win. But as he neared the finish line on the fourth lap, he was haunted by the question, where is Bannister? As he turned to look, he glanced back. Briefly, less than a second, as he did that, Bannister took the lead. Landy later told a Time magazine reporter, if I hadn't looked back, I would have won. And I think that's a picture of how we can be as Christians. If we're constantly looking back, you can actually lose the race. In sport, you can never dwell on the last shot, whether it was good or bad. The next shot is always the important one. I'm not a super sporty person, but I do play squash, and I do all right at it. And one thing I know is that you cannot dwell on a shot. I mean, sometimes you can hit a brilliant shot, and it's a perfect length, and it comes, and it hugs the wall, and it dies perfectly in the back corner on the second bounce, and that's kind of what you're going for. And, you know, I can't stand there and go, man, that was a fantastic shot. High five, everyone. Hey, that was a good shot. Tell me how good that shot was. Oh, man, I just can I just practice that shot again? I want to just see that. Well, you can't learn there and likewise if the shot's poor and it hits the tin and just you know obviously you don't get the point for that if it just hits the tin or goes out somewhere you can't dwell on that and say man that's a horrible shot I can't believe it knock my racket against the wall knock my racket against my shoe just hit the ball a couple of times to myself you can't dwell on the good or the bad in squash it's a quick game and you need to focus always on the next point because the problem with focusing on a point is if you focus and you say, wow, that was a good shot. Flip, that was an amazing shot. Man, that was a great shot. You know what? Sooner or later, you're going to become overconfident and arrogant, and that's not going to work in your favor. And likewise, if you focus on the bad shots, oh, that was so bad. Oh, that was another terrible one. Gosh, I can't seem to get this right. Guess what? Your game's going to go down, 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 and you aren't going to be able to pull yourself up from that. So in sport, you can't dwell on the last shot whether it's good or bad. The important shot is the next one. When your past gets you down, or when you find yourself thinking about the good old days before God, or when you get discouraged because of a setback or a failure, here's what the Bible says we can do. And now I'm going to save you months of therapy and counseling. Here's what the Bible says you do when you think about your setbacks and when those are the only thing on your, on your mind. This is what the Bible says. Confess it to God, accept and trust His forgiveness, and put it behind you for good. Some of you, I just saved you 
hundreds of rands, thousands of rands of counseling just there. Because you, you just let your past badger you all the time. Your failures, your setbacks badger you all the time. Confess it to God, trust His forgiveness, and put it behind you. We don't need to walk forwards looking backwards. I'm going to give you three brief things, and then we're going to wind up this morning. Number one is this, and and these three things are things that you can do if you find that you sometimes wish for the way that things were. If you sometimes wish for the way things were, number one, recognize what's causing you to look back. Genesis 19.26 says this, but Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him and she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, I don't know why God chose to turn her into a pillar of salt, but what I do know is that she was leaving a city that was so corrupt. It was 10 times worse than the worst show on TV now. I don't know what the worst show is. Maybe it's Game of Thrones. Maybe it's True Blood. There's a couple of things right now that are on TV that are disturbing, disgusting, uh, horrible, where where uh, it's completely immoral. And uh, if you can picture that and put that on steroids, that's the kind of city that uh, Abram and Lot left. And so, but, and so God said he's going he's gonna to destroy the city. But he'll take this family out of the city first. But make sure, and this was his instruction, that you do not look back. But of course, on the way out, as I just read, Lot's wife looked back as she was following And she turned into a pillar of salt. Why did she look back? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question. What on earth was she looking back at? It was a completely depraved society. Disgusting. But familiar. And it's the same with us. Sometimes, personally, I'll speak about my life before I met Christ. And and I'll kind of feel proud about what I did. And I'll think about the drugs and the, the booze and being arrested and all sorts of things that may have happened to me. And, you know, you, you, you get like, oh, man, like I'm proud of that. I've got a story. I've got a history. Um, and actually, that's nonsense. That's nonsense to focus on that sort of thing. But sometimes we look back and we kind of feel proud about that. What she left behind was disgusting, but it was familiar. She didn't look back, need to look back, but she did. So what I want to say to you this morning is this. Don't put your past on a pedestal. Don't put your past on a pedestal. It is never as good or as fun as you remember. The Bible has this to say about going back to your old ways. Proverbs 26.11 says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. They use that disgusting imagery on purpose because that's what it's like. You know, when we long for the good old days, like the, the way things used to be, as if that was such a great time. That's not what we're to do. We're not to live there. We're to live looking forward, going forward. Otherwise, you're like a dog going back to its vomit, repeating its folly. So the first thing, recognize what's causing you to look back. Might not be in your spiritual life. It may be in your spiritual life. It might not be, you know. Maybe, and this happens often to newlyweds. If you get married or if you're in a relationship, you can be looking back at the freedom of having a single life, doing what you want, spending money the way you want, spending your time the way you want. Hanging out with whoever you want to hang out with. And sometimes for people, that can be the thing that's causing them to look back. Maybe it's the money you could be making if you didn't work for the church or if you didn't give to the church. 
Maybe if you didn't give away 10% of your salary to God's work, sure, I could have a little bit of extra money. I could afford this. Maybe that's what's causing you to look in the rearview mirror. Maybe it's the fun, in inverted commas, that your unsaved friends have on the weekends. Maybe it's the extra nights that your non-church friends have because they don't serve in a ministry at church. You know what? When you look back at the way things used to be, And you start to look at that and you get a little bit, oh, I wouldn't mind that again. It's a split focus and it's never going to help you to make progress in your Christian walk. We need to recognize what's causing us to look back. The very second thing you need to do if you find yourself looking back is break the rear view mirror. Plainly put, remove the things that draw your eyes away from the road ahead. So now, first of all, you had to identify those things. What is it that's causing me to look back? What is it that's, that's causing me to want to go back to the way things used to be, to the way that I used to live my life, to a time when things were easier and simpler? What are those things? And when you've under, identified those things, break the rear view mirror. Remove the things that draw your eyes away from the road ahead. Jesus is sometimes very direct and harsh with us as his disciples. And he's harsh about this thing of looking back. He's absolutely serious about breaking the rearview mirror. In Luke 9.62, Jesus said these words, uh, and I'll just pick it up from there. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, if you know the story, he's talking to someone who had, a good, he had good intentions. He was saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. Do you mind if I just do some stuff really, really quick and, and I can just start tomorrow? And Jesus said, anyone who puts a hand to the plow, in other words, anyone who wants to follow me and then starts following me, but then looks back, is not fit for the kingdom of God. That's seriously harsh work. He's saying if, you, if you're that guy and you've got one foot in, the, in, in your Christian life, in your spiritual life, in, in your walk with Jesus, and you've got one foot in the world, he's saying that's you. And he says anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the... You will not survive a walk with God if you start off looking back at the things that you used to be and used to have. This thing isn't going to work for you. A relationship with God requires a whole heart. If you come to God, but you still want your old lifestyle, you regret the pleasures you're missing out on or the money you could be making, you cannot be a follower of God and you are not fit for the kingdom of God. He is looking for people who follow him wholeheartedly. If you're not willing to sacrifice everything for the cause of God, you are actually willing to sacrifice nothing. It's a phenomenal story that speaks so beautifully into the situation. And it comes from 1 Kings, chapter 19, 19 to 21. I won't read that passage to you, but the bottom line of it is that Elijah is asked by God or spoken to by God to go and call his successor, which is Elisha. So Elijah goes and he finds Elisha, and Elisha is busy plowing his fields. He's obviously quite a wealthy guy, and he's busy plowing his fields with his oxen and his yoke uh, and and, and the wooden things that, you know, get dragged in the soil and all that. And, uh, And Elijah comes up to him. And Elijah throws his cloak over him. Now, we don't know what happened under that cloak, but obviously something supernatural and incredible happened. When that coat came off, Elisha just knew, I need to follow this guy. This is the rest of my life. Uh, And what he did right after that is what I'm talking about. And this is the amazing part. He literally executed, he killed all of his oxen and he burnt 
all of the wood. All of his machinery to, that he was using to earn his income, he burnt it. So, I mean, that's an incredible story. This is someone who was not prepared to look back. He made sure that there was nothing for him to go back to. Even if he doubted along the journey and along the way, man, what actually happened under that coat? Maybe it wasn't so significant. Maybe it was just a, an emotional thing that I just did one day and, 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 you know, this coat came over and it just felt so right. This man of God came and did this. Uh, you know, even if he started to doubt his calling and his mission, he had nothing to go back to. And that is exactly what God wants out of us today. When we make a decision, when we take a stand for him, burn your bridges, close that door behind you and lock it so that you can't have one foot here and one foot there. So the first thing is recognize what's causing you to look back. The second thing, once you know what that is, break the rear view mirror. Burn your bridges in that sense. And the third thing and the final thing this morning, press on towards the future you want. Now, when I'm speaking about press on, this is now what Paul's imagery is. Press on, push forward, go, strive, get there. Press on toward the future you want. And what I want to say to that is two things. Number one, develop a relationship with God and His Word. You want to make progress. You want to stop looking in the rearview mirror. You want to stop looking behind you. Well, you need to make progress going forward. And the way you do that is two ways. Number one, develop a relationship with God and His Word. There is nothing more important that you could put time into. It's not always easy to make that time. And you don't hear angels sing. But what it does do is build a foundation on which the rest of your life can be built. Don't substitute that time for anything else. Even other good things, like reading Christian books, listening to worship music. You know, and, and I'm speaking to myself here. I mean, I can drive to PE and I'll listen to worship music and I'll, I'll feel like, okay, God, was, was that a quiet time? Does that count? Can I tick that off? Um, but it's not. It's not the same thing. If I get into a room with Sarah and I put some music on in the background and we just look at each other and listen to the music in the background, well, that doesn't constitute quality time with Sarah. If I read her journal, if I read a book about Sarah, and I'm in the same room as her, well, that doesn't constitute quality time with Sarah. That doesn't build our relationship. All we're doing is listening to music together. Or all we're doing is, is, is reading a book together. Or she's watching me read a book about her. A relationship is what God is after. Don't substitute it for anything else. So the first thing you do to press toward the future you want is develop a relationship with God and His Word. The second thing is stay connected with people that share your spiritual values. If you want to make progress and stop looking backwards, keep connected to a church. It may, doesn't have to be this church, but stay connected, faithful, and committed to a church, a local church body. Don't say, I can do this on my own. I can get through this rough patch and then I'll go back to church. Don't be so stupid. Just stay connected in church. Don't lose your ability to serve in church because it keeps you close to other believers and gives you an opportunity to use the gifts that God gave you to build this church. Get connected in a small group. And you see where this is going. It's all about relationship. It's about relationship with God firstly, and then it's about relationship with other people who are Christians. Get connected in a small group. That will help you to make progress. And then keep connections with people that don't know God as their Savior. 
Because you may just be the only Bible they read or the only source of real wisdom they have in difficult times or the only person that can reflect God's unconditional love to them. These are ways we can all press on toward the goal for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. They keep us looking forward and will keep us from looking backward.